Chapter Four of Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Life in the Grey Nunnery at Montreal by Sarah J. Richardson. Chapter Four A Slave for Life. During this illness, I was placed under the care of an abbess whom they called Saint Bridget. There were many other abbesses in the convent, but she was the principal one and had the care of all the clothing. If the others wished for clean clothes, they were obliged to go to her for them. In that way I saw them all, but did not learn their names. They approached me and looked at me, but seldom spoke. This I thought very strange, but I now know they dared not speak. One day an abbess came to my bed, and after standing a few moments, with the tears silently flowing down her cheeks, asked me if I had a mother. I told her I had not, and I began to weep most bitterly. I was very weak, and the question recalled to my mind the time when I shared a father's love and enjoyed my liberty. Then I could go and come as I chose, but now a slave for life, I could have no will of my own. I must go at bidding and come at command. This I am well aware may seem to some extravagant language, but I use the right word. I was literally a slave, and of all kinds of slavery, that which exists in a convent is the worst. I say the worst because the story of wrong and outrage, which occasionally finds its way to the public ear, is not generally believed. You pity the poor black man who bends beneath the scourge of southern bondage. For the tale comes to you from those who have seen his tears and heard his groans. But you have no tears, no prayers, no efforts for the poor helpless nun who toils and dies beneath the heartless cruelty of an equally oppressive taskmaster. No. For her you have no sympathy, for you do not believe her word. Within those precincts of cruelty, no visitor is ever admitted. No curious eye may witness the secrets of their prison-house. Consequently, there is no one to bear direct testimony to the truth of her statements. Even now, methinks, I see your haughty brow contract, and your lip curl with scorn, as with supreme contempt you throw down these pages and exclaim, "'Tis all a fiction, just got up to make money, no proof that it is true." No proof, do you say? Oh, that the strong arm of the law would interpose on our behalf, that some American Napoleon would come forth and break open these prison doors and drag forth to the light of day those hidden instruments of torture. 
there would then be proof enough to satisfy the most incredulous that so far from being exaggerated the half has not been told sons of america will you not arise in your might and demand that these convent doors be opened and the oppressed allowed to go free or if this be denied sweep from the fair earth the black-hearted wretches who dare in the very face of heaven to commit such fearful outrages upon helpless suffering humanity how long oh how long will you suffer these dens of iniquity to remain unopened how long permit this system of priestly cruelty to continue but i am wandering from my story would that i might forever wander from it that i might at once blot from memory's page the fearful recollection that must follow me to my grave yet painful as it is to rehearse the past if i can but awaken your sympathy for other sufferers if i can but excite you to efforts for their deliverance it is all i ask i shall have my reward but to return to my story the abbess saw how deeply i was grieved and immediately left the room st bridget told me not to cry for she would be a mother to me as long as i remained with her and she was true to her promise another sister who sometimes came to my room i believe was crazy she would run up to my bed put her hand on me and burst into a loud and hearty laugh this she repeated as often as she came and i told the abbess one day i did wish that sister would not come to see me for she acted so strange i was afraid of her she replied do not care for her she always does just so but we do not mind her you must be careful what you say she continued for if you speak of her before any of the sisters they may get you into trouble when i began to get better i had a sharp appetite for food and was hungry a great part of the time one of the sisters used to bring me a piece of bread concealed under her cape and hide it under my pillow how she obtained it i do not know unless she saved it from her own allowance it was very easy for her to hide it in this way for the nuns always walk with one hand under their cape and the other by the side truly in this instance bread eaten in secret was pleasant of all the luxuries i ever tasted those stolen bits of bread were the sweetest during my illness i thought a great deal about my father and wondered why he did not come to see me as he had promised i used to cry for him in my sleep and very often awoke in tears st bridget sought every possible way to make me forget him and the priest would tell me that i need not think so much about him for he no longer cared for me he said that the devil had got him and i would never see him again those cruel words 
so far from making me forget, served to awaken a still greater desire to see him, and increased my grief because I was denied the privilege. In the room with me were six other little girls, who were all sick at the same time, and St. Bridget took care of us all. For two of the little girls I felt the greatest sympathy. They were quite young, I think not more than three years of age, and they grieved continually. They made no complaint, did not even shed a tear, but they sobbed all the time, whether asleep or awake. Of their history I could learn nothing at that time, except the fact that they were taken from their parents for the good of their souls. I afterwards overheard a conversation that led me to think that they were heirs to a large property, which, if they were out of the way, would go to the church. But it is of what I know, and not what I think, that I have undertaken to write, and I do know that the fate of those little girls was hard in the extreme, whatever might have been the cause of their being there. Poor little creatures, no wonder their hearts were broken, torn from parents and friends, while yet in early childhood, doomed while life is spared, to be subject to the will of those who know no mercy, who feel no pity, but consider it a religious duty to crush and destroy all the pure affections, all the exquisite sensibilities of the human soul. Yet to them these hapless babes must look for all the earthly happiness they could hope to enjoy. They were taught to obey them in all things, and consider them their only friends and protectors. I never saw them after I left that room, but they did not live long. I was glad they did not, for in the cold grave their sufferings would be over, and they would rest in peace. Oh, how little do Protestants know the sufferings of a nun, and truly no one can know them except by personal experience. One may imagine the most aggravated form of cruelty, the most heart-rending agonies, yet I do believe the conception of the most active imagination would fall far short of the horrible reality. I do not believe there was one happy individual in that convent, or that anyone there, if I accept the Lady Superior, knew anything of enjoyment. Life with them was a continual round of ceaseless toil and bitter self-denial, while each one had some secret grief slowly but surely gnawing away the heart-strings. I have sometimes seen the abbess, sitting by the bedside of the sick, with her eyes closed, while the big tears fell unchecked over her pale cheeks. When I asked her why she wept, she would shake her head, but never speak. I now know that she dare not speak for fear of punishment. The abbesses in the various parts of this convent are punished as much as the nuns if they dare to disobey the rules of the priests, 
and if the least of these are broken in the presence of any one in the house, they will surely tell of it at confession. In fact, they are required to do this, and if it is known that one has seen a rule broken, or a command disobeyed without reporting it, a severe punishment is sure to follow. Thus every individual is a spy upon the rest, and while every failure is visited with condign punishment, the one who makes the most reports is so warmly approved that poor human nature can hardly resist the temptation to play the traitor. Friendship cannot exist within the walls of a convent, for no one can be trusted, even with the most trifling secret. Whoever ventures to try it is sure to be betrayed. While I was sick, Father Darity came often to see me, and by his kindness succeeded in gaining my affections. I was a great favorite with him. He always called me his little girl, and tried in every way to make me contented. He wished to make me say that I was happy there, that I liked to live with them as well as with my father. But I could never be persuaded to say this, for it was not the truth, and I would not tell a falsehood unless forced to do so. He said I must be a good girl, and he hoped I would sometimes see better times. But I could never see my father again, and I must not desire it. He advised me, however hard it might be, to try and love all who came into the nunnery, even those who were unkind, who wished to injure me or wound my feelings. He told me how Jesus Christ loved his enemies, how he died for them a cruel death on the cross, how amid his bitter agonies he prayed for them, and with his expiring breath he cried, Father forgive them, they know not what they do. And now, said he, can you do as Jesus Christ did? He has set you an example, can you not follow it? No, sir, I replied, I cannot love those who punish me so cruelly, so unjustly. I cannot love the little girl who reported what I said in the yard, when she said as bad things as I did. But you forget, said he, that in doing this she only obeyed the rules of the house. She only did her duty. If you had done yours, you would have reported her. I'll never do that, I exclaimed, emboldened by his kindness. It is a bad rule, and— Hush, hush, child, he cried, interrupting me. Do you know to whom you are speaking, and do you forget that you are a little girl? Are you wiser than your teachers? I must give you a penance for those naughty words, and you will pray for a better spirit. He said much more to me, and gave me good advice that I remember much better than I followed. He enjoined, if upon me, to keep up good courage, as I would gain my health faster. He then bade me farewell, 
telling me not to forget to repeat certain prayers as a penance for my sin in speaking so boldly. Oh, did he think when he talked to me so kindly, so faithfully, that it was his last opportunity to give me good advice? Did he know that he left me to return no more? I saw nothing unusual in his appearance, and I did not suspect that it was the last time I should see his pleasant face and listen to his kindly voice. I loved that man, and bitter were the tears I shed when I learned that I should never see him again. The abbess informed me that he was sent away for something he had done. She did not know what. Oh, that something! I knew well enough what it was. He had a kind heart. He could feel for the unfortunate, and that, with the Roman Catholics, is an unpardonable sin. End of chapter 4